Welcome to a place where we combine equal parts science, technology, design, and entrepreneurship. Then we gradually stir in magic to the mixture, and you have the Perception Podcast. Join us in conversations with design heroes, inspirational thinkers, business leaders, and trailblazers across the globe. Our guest today is Felix Hulst. Felix has spent most of his career at Hot Wheels. He was head of creative for Hot Wheels, Matchbox, and Tyco. After 11 years at Mattel, he decided to flex his entrepreneurial muscle to co-found Hackrod. Hackrod is a digital industrial company developing a design, engineering, and manufacturing pipeline that will drive the next industrial revolution, enabling everyone with the power to design, innovate, and produce while utilizing distributed manufacturing and local assembly. Their proof of concept is a car called La Bandita, the world's first car designed in VR, engineered with AI, developed with advanced manufacturing, and delivered in the supply chain of the future. Let's dive deeper into this industrial uprising and start our interview with Felix Post. Today we have a very special guest, especially for me, being a Hot Wheels fanatic from a young age. We welcome Felix Holst to the Perception Podcast. Hey, Felix. How are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for, uh, for being on the podcast. This is going to be, uh, I know it's exciting for me. We're, we're excited to hear more about uh, Hackrod as well. But uh, just to start off, tell us a little bit about where you're from and where you grew up and your education, things like that. Sure. I, uh, so I, I'm originally from uh, Newcastle-upon-Tyne in the northeast of England. Uh, feels like a long way away now. Um, so I grew up, grew up in the northeast of England, uh, was a car freak from a very early age, uh, the passion, like all my, all my life, my first word was car. Um, and so it was inevitable that I would end up doing something in my career with, with wheels. I, uh, I graduated from, uh, the university of Northumbria at Newcastle in 96 with a degree in industrial design. Um, my plan was to go on and do a master's in transport design. And I took a six month temp contract with Hot Wheels UK in 96, um, just to fill in the time between my degree and my master's, and I didn't do the master's. I discovered that uh, the brand, the small cars that had inspired me as a kid still inspired me, and uh, I had a natural aptitude for toy design, um, and it was a lot more exciting to design lots and lots and lots of little cars than end up doing small parts on big cars for the rest of my career. So uh, that really was, it, it was an accidental beginning to a fairly radical radical career that took me on and off um, through 20 years with Mattel. A little bit of time off um, in the middle of that for some rock and roll. But generally, I kind of moved my way up through the toy industry with Mattel and eventually found myself leading creative for the wheels division. Um, which was Hot Wheels and Matchbox and the radio control stuff. And that included packaging, entertainment concepts, product design, and everything else that went along with that. Can you tell us how you first got into Mattel? How did that all happen? Um, like, well, it was, it, was a, it was just one of those things. It was, I, I had almost given up looking for a job between, between, um, between university and, and, and going on to do a master's. I'd, I'd literally... I tried to get jobs in design consultancies um, in the UK. I had to play for stuff in Europe, and I just wasn't—I wasn't having any success with a kind of traditional graduate design job. And I—I I just glanced at this tiny. Back back then, it was there was a there was a, a weekly 
paper called Design Week in the UK, and I and it was really focused on graphic design. And I just happened to see this tiny little ad for Hot Wheels UK. And at the time, I didn't even I, I was like, wow, Hot Wheels are they still around? Um, and I was on I was on a train on the way to see my father, and I, I kind of I called my mom and said, Mom, just just stick one of my last resumes in an envelope and send it to this address for me, will you? Just, it was one of those things, it was like an afterthought. Um, and then, sure enough, I got the first interview. It, what, what actually, it, it, it probably was the most complicated interview process for a six-month temp position um, that, that anyone's ever gone through. But it took me three months, three interviews, and a very involved project to actually land the job. Um, but, you know, I'm glad I stuck in because it really... You know what started out as as as, as a tiny little temp contract in a, in a in a satellite office in the UK for Mattel um, was the beginning of like a you know certainly a kind of twenty year career. Hmm. Wow. So so you spent a lot of time at Mattel. I know you worked you know on, on Hot Wheels, which is one of my favorites. Um, what was it like being an adult working on toys? You know, I picture I picture everybody riding around on scooters and getting to their offices, you know, in big wheels and stuff like that. I'm sure it's not like that, but, uh, you know, it's, it's like Willy Wonka, but except it's a lot cooler because it's with toys instead of candy. That's the way I pictured it. Well, that's, that's the way I always pictured it as well, you know. And, and when I first, when I first, the first, I, I, I came out to, uh, to Los Angeles, I think like week three of my job, like they flew me out to LA to work on a project. And I was very excited to, to, to walk into the, you know, the, the, the Mattel design center in Los Angeles. And, uh, I got there and it was like just this kind of old warehouse with this kind of old like 1980s gray cube farm kind of aesthetic. Um, and so I was like, I was terribly disappointed. I thought it was going to be like big, you know, I thought it was literally going to be kind of full of Mad Hatter inventions. And, and as, yeah, as, as I was walking through, I was dive bombed by a rigid controlled airplane, which kind of, which brought a little bit of the kind of the zaniness of toy design to life. But generally back then it was, it was a bit of an afterthought, to be honest. You know, um, over over time, we redeveloped that that space, and 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 we, as we as we grew the wheels division, um, we we built out our space to be more and more, you know, interesting, exciting. We had full size, we had full size hot rods parked in, in the middle of the design center at one point, um, and you know, we built the we built this kind of like Hot Wheels test track right down the middle of the corridor, so that. Grudge, ma- grudge matches could be uh, could be anybody anybody had an argument. It was like, all right, grab your fastest car. We'll we'll see you in the corridor, and we'll go we'll, we'll go head to head. Can you can you walk us through the process from the concept to the full build of a Hot Wheels? Yeah, you know, it it, it developed in my time in my time there. It, it, it developed um, fairly fairly rapidly from the old the old days where you know we would we would we would sit down. We choose a there would always be this big argument about who who did what cars. It was a very it was friendly competitive argument. At some point in the year, you have to start choosing the line, and so everybody would rush out. And all the guys who work on Hot Wheels, all the designers are, are absolute car freaks. Most of them build cars in their spare time, you know. And, and a lot of the guys are are legitimately they've done their time with the OEMs as car designers. So all those guys, they're all into different things. And so it all comes together on big boards. Everybody who's got a, a, a classic car or a favorite hot rod or a favorite new car brings it all together. And, and, and there's this kind of fairly slow process of filtering from hundreds of choices down to the, you know, the kind of the 20 or so new models that, that are going to get done um, for the year. 
And those models are taken on by various designers. And, and in the old days, when I first started, you had to actually you had, you had to get reference for a car, and you'd go and measure the car, and you'd do line drawings and control drawings by hand, and then you'd send those those drawings off to to uh, to, to Hong Kong, where model makers would interpret them with what we would call a three like a three X model, like a three times the size of of, of, a, of a of a basic one sixty fourth Hot Wheels car, and then the models would get shipped. Back to LA for 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 for, for critique, and then we would do all. We would take the photo, photography of the models, and we do our critique. And it was a very like, it would take weeks and weeks and weeks just to get an approval on a form. Um, but over the over the years, we 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 kind of you know we we introduced more and more digital techniques to the point now where we've got digital sculptors. Some of the designers can handle it themselves, and then um, some guys just use a partner sculptor who will. Using a free form, um, like one of those, one of the haptic arms will sculpt digitally. Um, and then we can, you know, we've been using uh, stereolithography and 3D printing really for the past kind of 15 years there. And that was one of the first things where we really applied modern technology um, to, to change the way that we the way that we did things. Up until that point, the way Hot Wheels with cars were, were, were designed and manufactured really hadn't changed since 1968. Mm-hmm. Now it's a very very digital process, and the guys can the guys can 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 sculpt sculpt the design um, during the day, send it through to the model shop, and literally the next morning there's a there's an actual kind of replica one sixty fourth car sitting on their sitting on their desk for uh, for evaluation. Um, and then once that's approved, it goes it goes off out to Asia, and the tool build begins. Um, and that's that's a fairly slow process because there's those tools you know we make. We used to make six million Hot Wheels cars a week, um, on an average week. And wow. so, if you think about if you think about the, the the volume that those tools have to bang out, they're very very high precision tools. They may be fairly simple components. Uh, most Hot Wheels cars are really just made up of four pieces: chassis, interior, glass, and, and a body. But the the, the 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 precision and longevity that's needed from those tools is really phenomenal. So, uh, the tool build is still a fairly lengthy uh, fairly lengthy process. Um, and then it gets very involved with kind of efficiencies of, you know, pinning wheels to axles. And the thing that always startled me when I first, when I first visited a die cast plant out in Asia, um, I remember seeing a, a film when I was like, I must've been five years old. There was a film on, on British kids TV of how they make matchbox cars. Um, and it was amazing to me that like 25 years later, the first time I actually walked into a a modern diecast plant. Really, nothing much had changed since the fifties. To be honest, wow. Um, it was it was in a different part of the world, um, but really the processes were very similar. You know, kind of mass production processes with quite a lot of quite a lot of, uh, of human interaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I used to try to uh, customize. Well, I had a, I had actually you know from my childhood, I had a friend whose father owned a toy store in Manhattan. And he would come home with a bunch of Hot Wheels and he'd always bring, you know, three of the same cars and stuff. So my buddy would always, you know, throw one to me and be like, hey, here, you can have one or two, whatever. So that's how I started my collection. And, you know, when I got older and I moved out, my mother had sold my my uh, comic books, baseball cards, everything but my Hot Wheels because I guess they were just too heavy because I had a, a lot of them. And I couldn't believe how many I had. And to this day now, I, I, I collect only because, you know, I have a, a 12-year-old son. But since his birth, I've, I've gone to the store, you know, using his, the excuse of him going to Toys R Us or wherever it is. Um, but I'll, I'll always purchase, you know, my favorites like uh, Mustangs and things like that. So 
Um, I used to try to customize the the wheels when I was younger, and I would snip the uh, the little metal um, rod that was in the wheels. And then, of course, you know, I'd have to like hot glue gun the new wheel on or something like that because I couldn't figure out how to get it to to stay without using like some sort of welding machine or something. So. Um, yeah, you gotta that, get the, you gotta get the power tools out, man. You gotta drill the rivets out. So yeah, that, so, that, so that you don't have to hack your axles. Yep, exactly. My father was always like, "You're too young to handle the power tools yet." So, uh, <laughs> so I had to figure out ways to try and try and do. It. But that was uh, that was my uh, introduction to to cars and my love of cars. And uh, you know, my father wasn't big on cars. He was more of a you know get it get get a car to get you from point A to point B. But I was all about the customization only because I grew up with. You know, a Mustang with you know it was yellow with the black stripes, and then of course there were re- there were real cars like that. But to me, the the more creative ones were were coming out of you know uh, Hot Wheels and Mattel. Um, yeah, really, one of the biggest thrills um, for me with my career at Mattel was I I got I got to meet I got to meet so many captains of industry and 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 people from the auto industry, whether it was race drivers, car designers, car customizers grew up with Hot Wheels and every single one of them would tell me what a major um, influence Hot Wheels was and, and, and how much of a, of, a, of a deciding factor on what they choose, choose to do as a career. Uh, the, 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 passion, the passion out there for the brand and its place in pop culture and, and car culture is really quite phenomenal, you know. So I, I always felt truly privileged to be the guy who was, for a short period of time, piloting the kind of the creative direction for that brand and it, it you know yes at times it felt like a, a fairly tall order to, to hold that on your shoulders but the 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 passion and love out there in, in in the in the the car world the car design world was was always a thrill that's great so tell us a little bit about um who you met you know the celebrities or the the drivers things like that who are your uh we'll give it a, a i guess a top five list <laughs> well i i met um Right, I met uh, Mario Andretti quite a few times. That's awesome. Um, Mario, actually, we, we, we ran, the, the, the highlight of my career was when we, we broke some world records. We ran this program for about three years called Hot Wheels for Real, um, where we, we decided that we would tell the mythology of the, the Hot Wheels test facility that had existed since 1968. And all the toy cars that kids had played with all, all those years were just replicas of real cars that actually existed in a an Area 51 style place uh-huh. in the desert where and and so we, we we used mario andretti as a spokesperson for that and mario was hilarious because he just he just went into character he 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 told us that he'd actually convinced his his kids that in the 70s when he would disappear off testing that he was actually at the hot wheels test facility so he he was he just fell straight in there he believed the mythology and he lived it it was it was good man um I met, uh, I got to spend some time with uh, Chris Bangle. Oh, yeah. We interviewed him for the podcast a few weeks ago. Yeah, and no, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a cool guy, man. Great um, guy. He came in, I, I, I met him. I can't even remember how I met him, but I, I asked him to come back and, and, and do a, uh, an inspirational day for, the, uh, for, the, for the, the Wheels creative team, the broader Wheels creative team. And, and we, so we hung out for a day and talked car design and... Uh, um, and the future of car design, which is it's, which is kind of ironically where I find myself now. But Chris and I got on very well, and and uh, it was a thrill to meet someone who, really to me, was was truly a, a revolutionary thinker in the world of of, of auto design. Um, and he was just as thrilled to see the way that we we approach our approach to creativity at Hot Wheels because it was not all just about the diecast cars. Obviously, there's a lot of 
a lot of innovation goes into the the track sets and radio control stuff and the robotics that we would work on. So that was cool. Uh, I met George Barris several times, who was a, a childhood hero of mine, the, the, the creator of the Batmobile, mm-hmm. the original Batmobile, and and the guy, one of one of the one of the absolute founders of custom car culture. So hung out with George Barris quite a few times. Um, maybe a, a strange one was I met Steve Calero, the skateboarder. Um, who was a legend when I was a teenager. I was a skater in the 80s in Newcastle and, and I used to watch the Pal Peralta videos daily and so to suddenly find myself, and I actually became good friends with Steve, but he was a Hot Wheels fanatic and a, and a Hot Rod fanatic and we were wanting to do some skateboard uh, collaborations and so we met, we met, we met Steve and, and we, he's still working with the brand now. Um, you know, the list goes on and on and on. I, 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 I met, I met movie. We, we worked on movie projects and things, so I got to meet a lot of kind of big name movie producers and directors and stuff. And uh, I also met my my now business partner, um, Mouse McCoy, who was a, a Baja Thousand champion turned movie director, and, and he came on to direct all of the content for Hot Wheels for Real. And it was in that process that we discovered our joint passion for automotive chaos and. Uh, and 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 um, invention and disruption, you know. Um, so I, I met some fantastic people through that program. All the athletes we used for the Hot Wheels for Real program, some of the best drivers in the world. That's great. Yeah, we got we got a lot of opportunity. Uh, we used to do a lot of work with Speed Channel, so we met like Tanner Faust and Anderson. I I, I always forget his uh, first name, but Gravedigger, Dennis Anderson. I oh uh, yeah. Um, Oh, I believe it's Dennis uh, Anderson. Yes, I know exactly who you're talking about. Yep. Yeah, we, so yeah, and we got to we got uh, the opportunity to drive some fun cars as well. So uh, yeah, it was it, it's it's uh it's great being able to work at a place where you also get to have some fun and meet some very interesting people. So as you know, I think I mentioned to you probably uh, over a million times now that I have a, a a large Hot Wheels collection from my childhood. But um, what were some of your favorite Hot Wheels and some of the products you worked on? Wow, you know it, it, it's funny. I, I was uh, I was going over my resume the other, the other day for a for a, a toy industry consultancy gig, and I, I was listing out the products that I'd worked on, and, and realized that there was just so many that that every time I thought I'd completed the list, there was another five popped up. Um, I you know I I have a I, I actually discovered the car that started it all a couple of years ago when I was at home at my mother's house for Christmas, and it was a, one of the original red line. Um, it was the, the, the Pontiac, uh, was it the GDO con- Firebird convertible. It was one of the original 16 Hot Wheels cars. And it was given to me by a friend of my grandmother who had been on vacation to America in the, in the, in the, in the late 60s. And her son had grown out of it. And it was given to me sometime in the mid 70s. And I, I thought it was gone forever. But I discovered it recently in the box of an uh, in the bottom of a box of old toys, which was which was radical. It was at the time I was still at Hot Wheels at the time, um, and so to find that original, the first Hot Wheels car I ever put my fingers on at the age of like three years old, um, to st- to find that still existing, and to be able to rescue it um, was quite significant. And it's still that that absolutely holds a very special place in my heart. Um, uh, I I. I designed a few cars. I didn't, funnily enough, I didn't design that many die cast cars because my career 
moved so rapidly through the world of like toy in invention and innovation and then into management. Um, but I think that my, uh, my, my, my favorite Hot Wheels car I ever designed was called Fangula, which was, it was a kind of crazy sixties hot rod based on a, on a 63 Cadillac hearse, um, merged with a kind of Ed Roth style freaky hot rod open engine front end. Um, and then the, the fun that we always used to have is any, anytime anybody had an interesting car in the parking lot, quite often we'd manage to get that into the line. And I, I actually had a 63 Cadillac hearse as my daily driver for a while, um, which I would park in the executive spot at Mattel and really annoy a lot of people. Um, <laughs> but I, I managed to get, I didn't get that into Hot Wheels. I got that into Matchbox. We made a replica of that car in Matchbox and, and, and promptly got ourselves banned from Greece. Um, the, 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 there was some the, the, the Greek Orthodox Church decided that because Matchbox dared have a hearse in the in the product line that they were going to um, <laughs> petition Mattel to embargo the product line in Greece, and so the hearse didn't last very long in the product line, unfortunately. Well, that's when you know you're doing something right when when it gets banned, right? <laughs> Absolutely, true disruption, true mm -hmm. disruption. And then you know we worked we worked on all sorts of stuff. One, I think one of my favorites we. Um, one of the things that we heard from parents again and again and again was that Hot Wheels track, while they loved its play value and their kids loved it, it was such a pain that it had to be spread all over the house floor and you would set up a Hot Wheels track and you would be tiptoeing over it for weeks. Um, and so we, 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 we took a look at that and uh, we did, developed a whole line of Hot Wheels track called wall tracks that you could actually stick to the bedroom wall. And so your kid could could build his Hot Wheels track on the wall in the bedroom and run cars down the wall. Mm -hmm. um, that was and that was you know that was a two year project. That was real design work. That was real kind of. We had to figure out. We partnered with 3M um, hmm. to, to 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 develop the the attachments that would work with their command strips so that you could stick it on the wall without any worries about pulling the paint off. And um, there was a whole set of challenges about moving cars up and down walls and making sure kids would get cars to the top, even if they were just little three-year-olds, you know, it was, that was, that to me was one of my favorite. Uh, Isn't uh, Hot Wheels now doing some AI tracks similar to the Anki? They, they are, they are. I, I'm not sure whether it actually is Anki. Um, I know that we reviewed Anki years ago. They came to us when they first started, started out, um, and it, it, it's really, it really it, that, that whole world's a very exciting world. When you when you can put innovation into toys that warrants a higher price point, mm -hmm. that that is true innovation, and there's a lot of magic you can do there. All too often, um, the, the the modern toy industry is designed to a price point, um, and it gets harder and harder every year to really do do some creative things. Um, I used to I used to say that you know, seventy five percent of my, of my innovators' time was spent innovatively cost reducing things which is a real drag you know um but when you see it when you see an invention like the like the Anki invention and you can actually warrant and justify a higher price point and get some get some cutting edge toys out there you soon see that that people will still pay good money for, for true innovation you know um, i'd like to see more of that in the toy industry there's not enough of it in the toy industry I don't think. absolutely as you look back on your career what were some of the biggest creative challenges you faced and what did you learn um I mean, I think I've just touched on it, right? That the the, the 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 hilarious thing sitting here now in, in the industry that I'm looking at now, um, and talking with people who worked for Lockheed Martin and Apple and all of these different huge companies, that in the toy industry, you have to learn to, to make do with a couple of cents. You know, we we were talking about making 
magic happen with like two bits of plastic and a rubber band. And then once you've actually made magic happen, most of the time, the uh, the bean counters will come back and say, can you do it with one piece of plastic and a rubber band? Um, and so I just, I always, I always said to my guys that being in the toy industry was like, like, it was like a boot camp for industrial design because you have to move fast. It's a, it's a, it's more of a fashion industry in that it's a two season per year industry. You develop two full product lines a year. Most of the time you're developing an entirely new product line for the next year. Um, and you have very, very little resources to play with when it comes to what you can put in a product. Um, so learning to move fast on your feet with little resources and, 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 and yet to be competitive in that industry, you really have to be at the very top of the game when it comes to innovation and imagination. Um, and I think that that I was very fortunate, very, I mean, like very fortunate to fall into my role um, in 96 as a temp um, and was thrown right in the deep end. Um, and I got to see the full, the full cycle from, 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 from blank sheet concept development to presenting your work to the senior executives at head office to flying into Hong Kong and then dealing with the engineers and, and, and trying to kind of push your design integrity through in the face of fairly, you know, fairly close-minded um, production engineers. And I think that any designer who, who finds himself in that role it, it, as a junior position goes on to, has, has a good chance of going on to excel because you get this, you get this, not only do you get to see the, 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 the global version of product development, but you also, you, you learn to think on your feet and, and, and create with very little resource. And I think that every year was a challenge for us, especially as we got into like so, so the past decade where labor costs rose in China, there was all sorts of implications for kind of resin costs as oil fluctuated. And suddenly the golden age of toy design where you could just throw everything you wanted into a box and sell it at Christmas was over. And you really had to push hard to innovate um, with, 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 with very little. Um, and that's, that, I mean, in terms of challenges and learnings, that's to me, that's where, where it all was. And of course, you know, we, as I, as I moved through the, through the, through the ranks, um, I got more hands-on with branding and packaging design and, and, and storytelling and, and the overall kind of brand vision, which was great, great exposure for me. Um, but it always came back to good product. If you don't have good product, you can tell the biggest story in the world, but if you don't have good product integrity and good, good, good ideas, good innovation, then you, you're flogging a dead horse, you know? So no matter how exciting it got dealing with Hollywood and all of that stuff, I always turned it around and was like, look, if we don't have four killer TV items, that, which that's, you know, the items every year, you want four absolutely killer TV items at Christmas that, that you want kids around the world clamoring for. Mm -hmm. If you don't have those, you don't have anything. Right. So let's move, uh, let's jump ahead to, uh, to Hackrod. You started it almost three years ago. Yeah. So can you tell uh, the listeners what Hackrod's all about? So Hackrod... Um, Hackrod started out really as a, as a research project, which is very, very quickly becoming um, a new type of company. Um, we, when I left, when I left Hot Wheels, um, I'd been working on a fairly adventurous program with with Mouse, my partner, um, looking at the notion of Hot Wheels as motorsport, and that that project fell by the wayside when I left Mattel. 
and both of us had put a lot of a lot of passion and effort into it and, and so we, we 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 found ourselves kind of chewing the fat once a week over lunch um and it was at a point where where mouse had just been invent, invited in his capacity as an innovative filmmaker to go and hang out in uh, at, at autodesk in uh, in san francisco and had come back with his mind blown at, at what was going on with all of these um disparate technologies like artificial intelligence was was just beginning to come on song virtual reality was suddenly something that actually you could put a headset on and experience uh, an altered reality um uh, cloud processing was really beginning to give un unprecedented levels of of, of, of power um, to all of these different industries. And the thing that really took us by surprise was generative design, which is the, 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 the this kind of algorithmic design where um, you set you set the challenges um, for the for the item that you're trying to design and engineer. You set the parameters. And then artificial intelligence, in effect, um, does millions of calculations um, a minute and comes back with an optimized solution. And, and the structures that it grow, in effect, it grows um, structural solutions, which can be refined based on um, how many inputs and how many restrictions you place upon it. And we saw this. These things look like, like bone growth and coral growth, and it's an entirely new aesthetic and it's an aesthetic born, born out of functionality. Um, and we just fell in love with it. We were like, oh my God, the two of us looked at each other and said, God, can you imagine if we designed a car chassis like that? And, and, and so we, we started on this program of how, do, how would we use this technique to develop a sports car chassis? Um, very quickly realizing that while we could, we, could, we could push the algorithms to the limits to, to come up with a rudimentary structure, the only way you could make that structure is to print it. And at the time, um, there weren't any 3D printers that could print structural components large enough. And we kind of made it our mission to figure all of this stuff out. Um, so forward, you know, forward three years, and we've 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 been very very deep into all of these, the, the, these these gradually converging technologies. Um, last year, we developed what we what we claim to be the first ever vehicle chassis. Um, designed with artificial intelligence, um, we couldn't print it at that point. But we, we so we used traditional fabrication, um, and we built it basically. It's a, it's a race car chassis that um, we saved thirty percent, thirty percent weight saving, um, and better rigidity using this technique. And it looks radical. It looks it looks more impressive and, and, and cooler than any car, race car chassis you've seen before. Um, it built in kind of chrome molly tubing, and now we're moving very quickly toward um, replicating that 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 chassis, um, but but developing a file that we can print. So we have a our third partner, Slade Garden, joined us from Lockheed Martin. Um, he's the guy who printed all of the metal parts on the Juno space probe that's currently flying around Jupiter. So his his pedigree is. Uh, is, is fairly impeccable in that space. And we're hoping within the next months to have a machine big enough to print a full car chassis. And this is in aluminium, so structural structural metal, structural aluminum, I guess, for you Americans out there. Um, uh, the idea being that this is a, a key part of, of this new world of, um, 
advanced manufacturing where if you want to create a vehicle chassis, you don't have to invest in um, expensive tooling. You can you can design your component digitally and then pass it straight through to a machine that will just print it as designed, um, which to me as a designer is incredibly exciting um, because you, you no longer have to compromise your design for things like draft angles and cutting paths and cutting planes. Um, and when you roll that into the way that generative design can be used, um, kind of my vision for this 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 car company that we're trying to build is, if you think about garage band that comes on pretty much every Mac product that you buy now, every Apple product, um, and the way that garage band changed the way that that people could have access to making music because you would take complex samples and drag and drop them in a templated format, um, a, lot of, a lot of the real hard work and science was done behind the scenes and all you were doing is creating. And my attitude is that the path that we're following will lead to um, the kind of the, 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 the drag and drop of industrial design. So that if you want to set up your own sports car or motorcycle, then you can drag and drop components. Um, artificial intelligence will autofill structural needs mm-hmm. and then you can send it out to a distributed manufacturing network to have the large components printed at such and such a factory that does large-scale metal printing and the certain components are just sourced from inventory and smaller components are made elsewhere and it comes together locally you know so it, it's a fairly radical vision of what um, car design and in fact industrial design can be in the future and it's incredible because someone like myself who's more you know creative side of the brain depends on the AI for the engineering part and I don't have to worry about it because I know it'll be you know built and safe and uh, once it's built I know it's been somewhat tested so to speak yeah that's the you know that's the thing that when, when it was first shown to us um, the, the 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 guy who showed us it was said well Felix you're a designer so you might not like this and and he showed us it and I was like my immediate response was like I love that it's the engineers who are gonna hate that because in effect, you know, uh, all of this complex engineering is being done instantly by an algorithm. And as a designer, I get to be as creative as possible and set the parameters and the artificial intelligence is going to solve all of the structural problems for me. That's phenomenal. Um, and then, you know, and, and all the work that's going on with AI right now is it's not just focused on like algorithmic and generative design. Machine learning is a big part so that you can, in effect, autofill, like you're coming up with a concept and you need to know what motor and gear set is going to help it work. Well, artificial intelligence and machine learning can actually help you fill in that gap and give you solutions, pull solutions from the web or from the cloud and say, have you considered these? These already exist. You don't have to re-engineer it. It might just work, you know. So we're entering a really, really exciting for most, scary for some, um, world where I think industrial design is going to be far more open to far more people than ever before. And, and, and my decision when I left Mattel was that I could see the tidal wave coming. I could either grab my surfboard and try and ride it, or I can stand on the beach and get flattened, and I, I chose to grab the surfboard. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting you said that that, that, that person mentioned to you, you know, it's, uh, you're a creative, you're not going to like this, but... Most creatives, even though they want the world, love to have some sort of sandbox, and I think that's what your, you know, the AI 
and and the other uh, tools that the creatives use for let's say if you know for instance if I'm building the car it gives me that sandbox to play in and it, it and it gives me those kind of um, you know some sort of limitations, limitations and, and that's where yeah and the, and the constraints and that's where the best creative is made so I really Absolutely. I find it very interesting the way you know your the, the model of um, of Hackrod and, uh, and and how you guys are are you know rebuilding the future so to speak yeah you know it doesn't it's amazing how it's amazing how um, how small a quantity of variations can lead to um, a very expansive variety right that that you you don't need to give people a blank sheet of paper to create variety you you just need to limit them in a in a a, a number of ways where if each way has has a certain number of varieties and you kind of cross cross-pollinating the variety available within these parameters, then suddenly it still feels as though the world's your oyster. Um, and I think that, you know, my, my belief, my, my, my belief that this comes all the way from the, the time I spent with kids in Mattel and I spent a lot of time with kids from all different backgrounds, um, that, 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 you know, the way we've got to move forward as society is we've got to make sure that we give as many people as possible the chance to be an innovator. And, or an inventor, or however you want to say that. the 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 idea that um, the idea that the design. I mean, really, I I, I hate this. I, it's, the design industry has become so kind of um, kind of almost elitist because it costs so much money to study design, and then you've got to get a job, and then you've got to work in that job for years and years before you get to make any decisions or, or get your get your hands on the big toys. And in this world that we live in now, there are so many. Um, so many kids who just don't ever get a chance to express their creativity. Um, one of the things that really makes me get out, my, get out of bed in the morning is the idea that that I can democratize certain aspects of industry that, that most people never had a chance to play in and open that up to the widest range of ideas and inventions and achievements possible, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's really what gets me out of bed in the morning is the idea that what we're trying to build with Hackrod and it's going to take us a few years to, to get close. But the idea that, um, you know, if you get out of bed in the morning and decide you're not happy with the the bicycle that's on offer from any of the bike stores in your in your neighborhood, then you can actually get on get online and design your own bicycle and then possibly sell that bicycle to your friends. And before you know it, you've got a little industry going, then, then that's pretty radical. So can you share with us uh, some of the plans on how you're moving forward to democratize this design? In the coming years, uh, it's you know it's the, the the vision at the moment. At the moment, we're developing a car, um, the 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 Bandita. Now, mm-hmm. Mouse and I are, are, are no longer teenagers, um, and our tastes tend to be fairly kind of retro. Um, so we've we we sat back and said, right, what car would we? What car can we not buy today that we would like to buy? And so we've we've developed this um, very kind of James Dean esque Steve McQueen um, speedster. Right, we're looking but at it right it's, now. It's beautiful. It's a uh, you know, it's 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 really the intention there was to come out come come up with a, a timeless design so that the aesthetic doesn't get in way in the way of the technology we're using to develop the car. So the car will have a a three D printed aluminium chassis uh, designed by artificial intelligence, generative design. Um, we we are hacking um, we're hacking a Tesla. Um, 
the, 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 the hilarious thing about Teslas is they may be the most sophisticated car on the road at the moment, um, but we're not into the world of autonomous cars quite yet. Teslas are still driven by humans, so there's a lot of them in the junkyards of, 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 of Southern California. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very easy to go and purchase a Tesla for not very much money and cut the, cut the motor and batteries out of it and use it for something else. Um, a whole bunch of our, a whole lot of our ethos, and this comes directly out of Hot Wheels, is, is the kind of hot rodder ethos, the, the blue collar innovator who would cut bits of cars from the junkyards and build something that they wanted. Um, and really, that ethos will go forward through to eventually to a digital platform where, you know, you can you can you can select menus of components, drag and drop them into a drag and drop them into a, a, a configuration. Um, area and then have artificial intelligence automatically uh, complete your, your structural needs and so the, the bandita really is it, it, it my partner slade put it, it, it it's it's kind of the white glove service we're proving it all out with we're using the car as the test bed for all of the different design and manufacturing technologies that we're going to be using i mean as we do that we're beginning to piece together a chain of um partner companies and, uh, and 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 um, and component suppliers, with the hope that within a couple of years we can go live with a, you know, a modular car manufacturing platform that you, as a consumer, can can have a hand in uh, dictating the style of your car and, and 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 based on the use case, what components you need and things. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. Very very cool. Um, yeah, I could. I noticed when when we were doing research on you, you know, we of course. Uh, we went to the website and saw La Bandita, and, and the first thing that came to my mind was, uh, you know, the Hot Wheels, the way the, that beautiful picture on the website is, and I could see the influence from from your years at uh, at Mattel uh, in the vehicle, um, and the way you said it with, you know, like the James Dean style is uh, is right on the money. Uh, it's very very cool looking. So um, so how do you stay inspired, and and how do you inspire a team that? Uh, works with you <laughs> uh, that's 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 a good question it's funny right um, it's a very different it's a very different methodology when you work inside a big corporation and when you um, get out of bed every morning on your own on your own t- on your own terms um, you, 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 inspiration comes from everywhere I I'm, my inspiration to be honest if I'm if I'm, if I'm honest I don't need inspiration I don't need inspiration from the world of car culture. I, I, like I have, I have overdosed on that over the years. Um, my wife will tell me that it's, it's a sickness, and, and I, I would agree. You know, um, and and with with things like Instagram and social media, it's so easy to just get swamped with all of the cool stuff that's going on out there. So, you know, I, I tend to, I tend to occasionally switch that stuff off so that I'm not just feeling overwhelmed with how many ideas there are in my field. Um, for me, the inspirations come from 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 getting out and about. The the, the time I've spent in in San Francisco um, over the past couple of years with with various companies um, and, and and spending time with people who are just not like me. You know, I am certainly not the guy who was ever going to be a coder or, or or a tech entrepreneur in the in the classical sense. But the inspiration I've found in 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 the world of Silicon Valley and all of these young young people who who are changing the world as they embrace this new world of artificial intelligence and, and virtual reality i found truly truly inspiring and 
looking to see what's going on there and then dragging it back and applying it to a fairly old-fashioned world of, 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 of hot rod design has been truly inspiring, to be honest. Um, I, I found the most inspiration from the people around me rather than rather than kind of looking kind of inwardly at the design world or the car world. Um, and, you know, at the moment, we've got a very... We've got a very small team. Um, one of my guys, uh, Fraser Campbell, came with me from Hot Wheels. He's kind of been my right-hand man since we were at college together, to be honest. Um, and, you know, we, we go broad. We're inspired by a lot of the stories we've, we've learned about as well, things like the um, the, the SR71 Blackbird. The, 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 we, we went deep for a while into that story because it was not just a story about a phenomenal machine, but... The process and, and where it came from, from a, a geopolitical standpoint, was was fascinating, and the way that the way that necessity can drive invention. That 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 aircraft, which still holds the the record for the fastest ever jet powered aircraft, um, and it was it was conceived in like I think 1959, and and they went from a blank sheet of paper to the fastest aircraft ever conceived in like 18 months which is just like mind blowing when you think about it. And that was still with like slide rules. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, you've got to look around yourself and look at, look at the, look at the great stories from the past, understand the achievements that people, that people, that people, um, that people made at a time when they didn't have all of the powerful tools that we do today, that it was really the notion that, that inside all of us is, is, is that ability for human endeavor and, and, and genius, you know. Yeah. Um, and look at look 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 around you in the world. Look at different. Look at tan. Look at look at look at completely tangential industries and see what people are doing. It, it's too easy. And I I fell prey to it a lot in, 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 when I was at home. Right. That that I never got out of the company. I never visited anybody else. I I was so focused in my own little world of, of hot rod design and toy innovation that I, I forgot how to get out into the world and meet people and sit and have a glass of wine in a bar with somebody who's not related to you in the slightest, with your, not related to your industry at all, and listen to what they're doing and, and how they're applying knowledge and how they're innovating. It could be a guy who's innovating in the finance industry, for all I know, but that's where I, that's where I find inspiration, you know? And, and I try to get my guys to, to do that as well. Get out of your comfort zone and go and talk to people. Yep. That's awesome. We uh, we very much feel the same way, and I think that's a it's kind of a great note to end on. So we just wanted to thank you so much for being a guest today on the Perception Podcast. It was a pleasure. This is great. It's been great. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I love talking about myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a just a very quick question as far as uh, because again I'm the Hot Wheels fanatic at uh, Perception. So uh, do do you have a uh, a room in your house that you have? ton of Hot Wheels uh, toys and things like that. <laughs> you, you, you're going to hate me. You're going to hate me. I just sold my collection. Oh, <laughs> like, man. That's it. Yeah. Podcast over. I have, but, but I think that, but I think this is, the, uh, this is the thing, right? I have, I think, about 10 models that, that I would never sell. Um, and that's, that's, you know, I, I have the car I described, the, my original Hot Wheels car from like, that I was given in like 1975. But I also have a few career highlights. Um, you know, I've got I've got the full set of models that commemorated. We we built a full size 
Camaro with General Motors. It was like a, a Hot Wheels car. You could walk in and order a Hot Wheels car in a, in a GM dealership. Oh, yeah, I remember. It had the Hot Wheels symbol on the back and it had like red yeah. lines. Yep, I remember. Yeah, yep. and so we went through, we built like three iterations. We built the concept car for SEMA. Then we built the then we built the, the, the production prototype, which was slightly different to the one that actually made it. And I've got the models. I've got the set of models that commemorate that because... To me, that was a career highlight, mm-hmm. um, and I've got like a I've, I've got like a gold plated or gold VUM drag bus that's that's one of the rarest of all that was given to me in Hong Kong when I was when I was doing my six month intern start of my career that like nobody in the world has. It just so happened that I was in Hong Kong when they made this small run of them for the for the for the Hong Kong employees, um, and so it's, those are the models that I kept. You know, like. Right. You, you get overwhelmed when you when you when you when you're head of design for Hot Wheels, you just you just end up with thousands of models and and at, at some point it 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 kind of takes over your life and it started becoming more about who I am than who I really am and so I I spring cleaned last year. All right. Well, next time you decide to do some cleaning now now that we know each other, um, I'll keep an eye out. There's always there's always one stuck under the couch. You know what I mean? I'll, yeah. I'll, if I can find one, I'll send you it. All right. Well, again, it was a pleasure to speak with you. And uh, how can um, people, uh, you know, follow you and get some uh, get some update news on on Hackrod, things like that? Um, you know, your Twitter or, or website. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm a, I'm I'm I am a big Instagram follow user. So um, you can you can you can get me at it's Felix Holst uh, hashtag Felix Holst on Instagram or at Felix Holst. Sorry. Um, uh, and, and I tend to just feed everything from Instagram through Twitter and, and things. So I'm, I'm also at Felix Holst on Twitter. Um, there's an Instagram page for Hackrod, which is hack underscore rod. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is obviously hackrod.com. That website will be updated in the next month to give more detail about the project and about the company. Um, and that's going to be so really Instagram and website is the way to, to follow along with our with our adventures. Um and we're more than happy to talk to people about it. A big part of what we're doing here is to try and kind of really break down some barriers and democratize the whole process. So, you know, more than happy to chat with people. You can follow me at, 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 on my Instagram account, and, and you get it. You get an insight into the the, the crazy uh, dream life of a lad from Newcastle upon Tyne who now lives in hot rod heaven. Awesome. Well, that's great. Cool. Again, uh, appreciate the time, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Lovely. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Felix. All right. Take care. And that wraps up another episode of the Perception Podcast. As always, send any questions and comments to ask at experienceperception.com. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. Sign up for our weekly newsletter on our site, experienceperception.com slash contact. Lastly, if you enjoyed this podcast, please go to iTunes and write a nice review. See you on the next episode. Thank you.